Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before there was IMDb.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats. You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s movies. And sometimes 90s. And soundtracks from our youth. And then we interview our favorite people who help make them. All in the spirit of nostalgic positivity. Thanks for listening. Meet Morgan Hiller. First day in a new school. You ready for it? I always. He's got an attitude. No black riding on campus. Well, I was just sort of hoping I could take a quick ride through history. He lives in two worlds, always behind enemy lines. Tough turf. He's a loner on a roll, an outsider on the edge, caught between a dangerous loser. Give his bike back. And the girls they both love. She belongs to Nick. Come on, Jimmy. Lincoln freed the slaves. They can't shut him down. Body heat on contact. And they can't cool him off. Oh. You! I figure if I wait long enough, maybe I can... Get lucky? Tough turf. He stands alone, and one way or the other, he's going to make this town his own. He's always been a rebel. Now, he's about to become a hero. Tough Turf. Featuring music by Southside Johnny, Lena Lovitch, Marianne Faithful, Jim Carroll, and Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. It is November. It is Tough Turf Month. We are covering Tough Turf. We've got an interview coming up with Olivia Barish, who is in Tough Turf. But today... We are doing a very special episode with a very special friend of ours. Michael Ferrari from Cinema Meep is joining us on the show to talk about Tough Turf. Michael, what's happening? Thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on. And uh, I feel honored to be part of the show today. We're honored to have you. What is the origin of cinema meep? Cinema meep. So cinema do meep. Cinema, cinema, cinema do meep. Uh, right. I know it's that's it's with tough. the D. Could, that's why we got the D. A little tricky. Yeah. Uh, going by my Instagram handle, it just seems like just one long word. Um, so it's kind of started a long time ago. I always had the nickname of meep for some reason, and then at some point I did a I did a blog like a one of those WordPress blogs for like oh god over ten years. Uh, cinema do meep. 
and and then just kind of morphed into like doing it on social media i was I had a, a cinema to meet uh, facebook page which had like i don't know like five thousand followers and then one day facebook being as crazy it is decided to take it off for no good reason i had to fight it and I never got it back whatever <laughs> so i just started doing a lot of stuff on instagram and then i just kind of went from there and uh I started up this podcast, uh, 2013, 14, around there. And it's been fun just talking about movies like you guys from this pretty much the same decade, 70s, 80s, and 90s, so my sweet spots. I go sometimes out of that um, to other things, depending on the topic, depending on the guest host. Uh, but most of the time, it's uh, the sweet spot is there, like pretty much the decades I grew up in, and uh, as you guys have too, so... I listen to your podcast a lot, and I always have a lot of fun. I, I love the interviews; they're just uh, just a real highlight when when they do show up in uh, my uh, my podcast feed. I'm like, oh, gotta listen to that. I just listened to the uh, the new one with Jameson Newlander, which was from October. Oh, right which on! Was great. That was probably one of our more mainstream uh, months of programming on on Two Dollar Late Fee, right, Dustin? We've done like Pretty Woman, and then Lost Boys is probably the next most popular. Yeah, it's very interesting, Michael. We had this discussion. I mean, we obviously we started this podcast out of a love mm -hmm. of what we love, sure. right? It's, it's the same as you. It's like, um, and we found that for the most part, it's like people don't really know the movies we're talking about, but the people <laughs> mm -hmm. that do know, right? There are people. But then occasionally, we just kind of branch out for for a movie that uh, is a little more well known, like Pretty Woman, which we did earlier in the year, and that is our second most downloaded episode mm -hmm. by far right and it's a movie that zach and i were approaching like let's revisit this and then we we're like wait a minute oh wow neither of us have actually seen it but we didn't realize that until we started yeah. watching it and then we're like um and it's it's just very interesting from the perspective of someone who you know i love data i love knowing like why people like what they like or why people listen to and in a in a culture that is primarily add and, you know, you have like seven seconds to keep someone's retention on, you know, get their attention and they keep it on Instagram, on uh, social media in general. Uh, sure. It's a it's a hard game to play, you know, and uh, you got to like you said, you got to love it. You got to love what you do. I love Pretty Women, too. So I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that you love I that you love what have we a love. deep love of all kinds of genres. Uh, so it ranges from horror to juvenile delinquent movies to to even romantic comedy so i'm all i'm all about that so i'm glad I'm, i actually enjoyed that one episode as well oh thanks thank you uh, i mean you so so michael has a, a really cool thing on his instagram where he does like an employee of the month type deal where he features other fellow uh friends followers etc cetera, etc cetera, who who uh he, he kind of spotlights them and he had reached out to Dustin and myself uh, for some picks. Dustin chose, like, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but you can't do this in 2023 type <laughs> movies from the 80s. Uh, and, and then I chose, right. like, exploitative teen angst films mm -hmm. or something like that. And uh, both, you know, of course, Michael's like, oh, these are great picks. And I love these movies because uh, we all share the same 80s loving brain. And... Uh, Tough Turf was in there, and we had the opportunity because of our uh, fundraiser that we did in September with John Philbin, Matt Adler, Dean Cameron, Nestor Serrano, et cetera, et cetera, Laura Sangiacomo from Pretty Woman, and Tough Turf got brought up on that fundraiser. And Dean Cameron says, well, 
you know, uh, Olivia is a friend of mine. And or I used to date her, I think is what he said. I think he said she broke my yes, heart. Yes, she broke my heart. And then John, is what, is what he's, yeah. and then John Philbin goes, well, I used to live with Olivia. And we're, both, Dustin and I both were like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and Dean says, you should have her on the show. And the rest is history. You'll, you'll hear that interview actually next week. Before we get into like uh, the, the nitty gritty of the movie, well, what's your connection to Tough Turf? Or like, when did you see it? What's your background? Okay, with? believe it or not. I saw Tough Turf in the theater. Whoa! When I was a kid. So I'll give you a little backstory. I grew up in New York City. I was I was pretty much raised in Hell's Kitchen and Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. So up until this point around uh around 1980 like mid 18 uh, no it was October 1985 I moved to Brooklyn. So before then I was living basically in Hell's Kitchen sort of bordering Times Square. So back then you had dozens of movie theaters in Times Square and my parents didn't like to hire babysitters so what they did was they brought me to the movies all the time they were movie fanatics themselves and they let me go to the movies on my own and I would walk over to a movie theater in Times Square and go see whatever was playing that I wanted to go see and most of the time it was things I just wanted you know I just like the title I saw the poster for example the poster behind me tough turf Uh, I have to see that Right. Went to the theater, the Low State Theater in Times Square, and I watched Tough Turf, and I followed it up with the other feature, uh, a little movie called Beverly Hills Cop, which I was the second time seeing that movie uh, in a theater. Uh, so I was a big fan of going so to cool. see movies in general. So I, I like to say that I've been seeing movies in theaters since birth. I probably was in my mom's womb <laughs> when she went to see Jaws in June of 1975. I came out in August. Um I just love seeing movies in theaters and I still do to this day, maybe not quite the same experience of seeing a movie like Tough Turf in 1985 um, these days, but it was fun seeing all these different kinds of movies pop up, especially in the mid eighties when little companies like I say, a new world pictures can make a little exploitation movie and release it kind of on a, almost a a mass level um, like they did with this movie. And it's it's weird this rollout. It happened. It came out in January, uh, like or kind of early January of 1985, but didn't come to New York for some reason until the February 1st. And I just remember it was very mm-hmm. cold. It was a crazy winter, and I walked to the theater and I got my first eyes on James Spader, um, who I became a big fan of after this film. And I just kind of like, wow, this guy's really cool. Someone I could. Uh, not see myself in but someone I can look up to as a crazy big brother with these kind of dark guns and who's kind of a a badass and but also like all these other things that happen in this movie he's 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 a he's a badass but he's also romantic and um right he has a musical side as we'll get into and he's also romantic so that was kind of what drew me in. And just that New World Pictures logo was the other big thing that drew me in. I had seen Angel yes. in 1984. And that was a oh. crazy, crazy movie, but I loved it. Loved that movie. And and it was very seedy LA, uh, the, the, the equivalent of Times Square with LA, LA and, and Hollywood Boulevard. And I'm like, I see my childhood there as it was reflected on screen, but on the flip side, the in the, the West Coast side, I was like really into it. And the New World Pictures logo, though, was like something was special, it was new. It was brand new in 1984. Um, 
Roger Corman had previously had New World Pictures before uh, 1984, and they sold he sold it, became this new entity, and they started releasing all these crazy movies. And so every time I saw a New World Pictures logo, I'm like, okay, I think I have to go see this movie. January of 1985, the the month before I saw Tough Turf, Avenging Angel came out. So I had all these con- these connections in my head. I have to see all these New World crazy <laughs> movies because they're all they're all nutty and they're going to be fun. And, and that's exactly what they all were for the most part. And so those are two big reasons that drew me in right away. It was uh... just to be clear here, you were talking that you were between ages nine and 10. Yes. So are you doing the thing where you're buying a ticket <laughs> to a cartoon and then just walking into tough turf or like, how's this, yeah. how's this playing out? Is, is mom just buying you the ticket? So this is, it's unusual because uh, a lot of theaters in New York city at the time, well, because they were like not doing so well financially, the city in general, they just didn't care. <laughs> So I knew which theaters to go to. Like, okay, the state theater, they're not going to card me. They're not going to ask for any ID. They're not going to okay. ask for a parent. They're going to let me in. They're going to say, here, I could have one for whatever, and they're going right. to take it. So I, that's what I did. So I just took to the theaters that I knew would would uh, just let me in. And the classier I'm theaters are the ones that tended to be like, no, you need a parent or um, or whatever. And But uh, so, yeah, that's so I end up seeing a lot of movies regardless of, of the age thing. Times Square in the 80s was pretty seedy. I mean, it wasn't like just cruise around as a nine-year-old, but it seems like that's what you were doing. It, it, I mean, it was my neighborhood at the time, so I couldn't really, right. like, it wasn't like, I guess it, 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 it was pretty, it seemed pretty weird and dangerous, but it, it was also home for me, so I didn't really kind of look at it that right. way. And I feel like there were people who were kind of protective of me on the street, so... It wasn't too bad. Okay. So well, and and just so okay. just so everyone who's not familiar with Tough Turf, because Dustin, I think we should probably uh, give a little, you know, synopsis of this film in, in a minute. Tough Turf is a rated R movie, so it is, and it is like you said, Michael, it is uh, exploitative to an extent. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I think Tough Turf is probably one of the most interesting films we've covered in our uh, show. Yeah, as as is Beverly Hills Cop, an yeah, R-rated movie. Yeah. I mean, they're it's one of my favorites, but um, I don't think I was. I'm trying to think if I saw that in the theater. I may have, but I don't. I was definitely with a parent. I was not. I think I was with my mom when I saw wasn't that. getting sneaking into that one. <laughs> they weren't letting me. Did you see Tough Turf when you were a kid, Dustin, or when you were older? Uh, so my deal with Tough Turf was, I remember distinctly, you know, going. I didn't see it in the theater. But I was in the video store, you know, saw the poster, and I remember in my little kid mind, because this is how you how you do it, uh, I thought that Turf was his name. Oh, I'm like, oh, that that's tough Turf. That's <laughs> he's a, he's a tough he's a tough guy, right? So, um, and always <laughs> wanted to see it, and of, I mean, it's and it was finding out his name was Morgan was incredibly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will I will not lie. I'm like Morgan. Turf's a pretty badass name, actually. Tough Turf. Oh, his name is Turf. You know, like 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 Turk 182. Yeah. And I'm like, right? It's like like he's he's Turf. Um, <laughs> having no sense of the definition of what a Turf is, protecting a Turf under right any of that. Um, and uh, and then seeing on a, on video. Finally seeing it on video. Um, several years after it came. Wow. Out. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I because I I saw it on video when I was a kid, and I was a huge comic book fan at the time. And uh, Daredevil was one of my favorite comic book characters, and I thought that James Spader would be a perfect Matt Murdock, and like oh, a young yeah. Daredevil. 
especially the finale of this movie, uh, which we'll t- talk about, of course. But um, but at that end, I was like, that's Daredevil. Look at him. He could be a total Daredevil right now. But mm. this was my first time seeing James Spader. I didn't I hadn't seen Pretty in Pink yet uh, or less than zero. Was this so this is your first time seeing James Spader, right, Michael? This you hadn't seen New Kids or the New Kids. I did see, but I think that was later in the year. That's right. Came out so- same year. That's right. So I got to see the flip side from Jay Spader. Yeah, year. if you guys want to see yeah. an exploitation to the max with Lori Laughlin, check out the New Kids. It's a great double feature because actually, actually, I've I've played that as a double feature in my house, and like I've I've, I've, I've on the podcast I've talked about it as a double feature. It's like it works really well. It's like a great teens in peril double feature. It really does. Sure. I think this pairs nicely with Firstborn as well, which was, uh, you know. Robert Downey Jr., who, like, this cast is pretty bonkers, but Robert Downey Jr. is in the movie as well. The year before this, he did Firstborn, which with Peter Weller uh, and Terry Garr and Corey Haim and Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, uh, we might have to cover Firstborn down the road, Dustin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just thinking about James Spader in general and how versatile, I mean, he is as an actor. It's like, if you don't actually take a moment and, like, like look at his roles one by one, you might not even realize that some of them are him. Like his role in Mannequin, for example. Yes, mm-hmm. which came out like right? didn't that come out uh, the the next year or something like that? I think it was eighty yeah. seven. Eighty seven, yeah, two years yeah. later. Right in Baby Boom. Right. There's just so many ways that he doesn't play to type. No, at all. Yeah, which is is brilliant. I love him in this role in this movie. It's kind of like a rebel without a cause. You know, he doesn't get along with his mom. That woman, by the way, uh, I think plays one of the best evil moms in movies. I think we, at some point, we might have to do a whole <laughs> episode devoted to evil moms in the eighties. Because okay, yeah, but but not that she's necessarily she's evil. Not here. evil, but she's just like a condescending asshole. She's kind of an asshole. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, understandably, I guess I, I give her a pass when we say evil. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I, don't I like rescind. I rescind that. I change it. Yeah, but I understand evil moms, eighties. <laughs> for sure i mean overall uh maybe michael you can just give us a, a little overview of this film for those that haven't seen it so morgan hiller is this new guy in school and he's he was once i guess he guess he once came from money and now he's at the he's in the poor he's i guess he's kind of poor i guess you call him that he's he's kind of yeah. a little bit his family's a little bit down and out now and so he's goes to like a kind of a rough part of town in LA he's, he's in school and it's that age old um Romeo and Juliet West Side Story arc of <laughs> he suddenly immediately almost immediately falls for like the bad girl the bad guy's girl and and then of course sets him up for a battle that's going to happen throughout the film with him with them um I like the opening scene of of him kind of st- it kind of getting into inter, intervening their crimes and and then of course immediately becoming uh enemies with them and then of course uh, going to school the next day and then falling for the girl and then finding out it's the same guy and then all these shenanigans start happening after that um a lot of it draws for me on a lot of those like you mentioned rebel without a cause all those juvenile delinquent movies from the 50s and into the late 60s, there's definitely an aesthetic of that throughout this film. For sure. That seems very intentional by director Fritz Kirsch. And he seemed to add a lot of that into this film. 
Um, which was unusual because 80s teen movies weren't quite going into 50s kind of style. I mean, it was definitely happening in, in the culture in the 80s. Yeah. A very big thing in the 80s was the nostalgia for the 50s and early 60s. Yeah. You saw it in Happy Days and all those things. Totally. Not so much in teen movies yet. So this one was kind of, it kind of uh, really bubbles up to its max in this one with a lot of the music choices and aesthetics and and certainly the plots uh is very much from the, driven from these movies and, and you've got James Spader going bebop a bop and I'm like what is this 1955 <laughs> who who says bebop a loobop in 1985 James Spader it's definitely an unusual choice but he sells it for sure no i love it i don't get me wrong <laughs> i love it but still <laughs> It was like, we need a casual, just a very nonchalant song for you to kind of come up to that we can also clear. <laughs> yes, totally. For a very easy <laughs> Totally. Yeah. That we don't get in trouble with. And uh, Bebop a Loobop <laughs> won out somehow. And, and of course, the cast is amazing in this. Obviously, we mentioned James Spader and Robert Downey Jr., but Kim Richards plays Frankie. And Kim Richards, up until this point, was doing Disney movies mostly, and but she's famous for getting shot and killed in Assault on Precinct 13, which kind of starts the whole movie. Um, but this was her, like, it was like when um, Drew Barrymore decided to do something edgy, right, and, and like Poison Ivy. And you're like, oh, what, what's she doing? Mm. Uh, this reminded me of that in a way of like Kim Richards trying to do something not too risque, but it's pretty edgy. Let's... Talk about the cast a little bit. Are there any standouts for you, Michael? I mean, for me, I, I was looking at the cast and I, of course, immediately I think of Robert Downey Jr. as uh, James Spader's uh, friend in the movie. I think he is a standout for sure when you watch the film and he's just kind of something. As Jimmy Parker. Yeah, he's something about him. Like, I think uh, one of the, the reviews I read, how his eyes kind of sparkle and and I don't know if that's, because of <laughs> certain things that Robert Downey Jr. was going through at the time. But I think he just has that kind of movie star quality. And you can see it even in a small role where he's playing the best friend, where he just kind of shows up. It was He always he did a few of those kinds of roles back then, of course. In 1985, he did Weird Science. He did a few other things where he just kind of shows up in these small little roles, but kind of steals the scenes. I think that was the same in Firstborn. He was, uh, it's been a minute since I've seen that movie, but I'm pretty sure he's like the best buddy of uh you know along with sarah jessica parker in that too yeah and he certainly did that in this one and other otherwise olivia barish as ronnie i thought was a standout as as kim richard's friend i thought she was really fun i actually wanted more scenes of her i felt like the movie needed actually more scenes of her agreed i felt really bad when kim richards uh smashes that hamburger in her face i felt that was a little unnecessary dude so i mean really quickly like friends question mark <laughs> <laughs> would you guys ever smash a hamburger in someone's face? No. I mean, but I, I think that that kind of speaks to <clears throat> a lot of the characters in this movie where, you know, they sort of put themselves into the situations that they're in, right? So like even speaking very broadly, James Spader, not a great dude, you know, <laughs> Morgan, not a great, not a great character. Yeah. And, you know, and kind of rewatching this again this time, I was like, he's kind of the villain. Yeah. I mean, obviously horrible things happened to him, but I was just kind of going through and it's like, you know, he he intercedes in this. I mean, it is a mugging, but he doesn't know that. 
he just kind of comes in and just starts spray painting people. <laughs> you know, he wasn't, he's not there. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just like, I'm just going to be bop, blue bop, spray paint you in the face, hit you, take this thing, da, da, da. you know? And then like, he's stealing a car. He, it's like, he's just a, he's just a troublemaker that happens to be incredibly motivated uh, by his need to uh, get with Frankie. <laughs> Ultimately, I think that's why that's where he becomes the quote hero because he's well, he has a thing for Frankie so badly that and he doesn't beat her like her boyfriend does. Uh, right. He's sensitive. Yes. He says he says nice sensitive. things. He has fun catchphrases. Yes. <laughs> sensitive. You're not. As we sensitive. Say. You're not. <laughs> sensitive. You're not. It's a joke. You're sensitive. That's from This House Possessed, Michael, by the way. I am a fan of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, you are. I, I have a, of course I am. Uh, I have a friend named Amanda Reyes, who's like a TV movie guru. And I think she's even had talks on that movie, This House Possessed. Uh, Amazing. It's just, uh, we share that common, we share that common love of it. I think we did a review once together on it. And um it's yeah it's definitely very 70s of the time but uh i'm a big fan but you didn't kind of you didn't so. blink when we said it you were like oh no that, no, that, know that song. song if you go uh <laughs> listeners if you go back to uh, a few episodes back well a year ago we had um we had chris mayek on our show and we talked about favorite horror films obscure horror movies and that was one of dustin's with parker stevenson so sensitive <laughs> but sorry sorry michael continue Oh, going through the cast. Um, Mac Mac Clark is the dad. I think he's really good. I always like seeing him pop up in things. I loved him in Brew Baker. Mm. Yeah, he, he showed up in a lot of things, like a lot of old westerns. Totally. And, um, he has that kind of face that's so really good for that kind of that kind of movie. But I thought he was good. And he's a good beast. As a dad, and he like he kicks some ass here, and you know he gets seriously. He may, he may get shot a couple times, but you know he he hangs in there for a long time, and I, that's the kind of a kind of dad you want to see on a screen, not someone who's kind of like running away and being useless. And uh, which happens right. a lot in like, like nineties thrillers. Like the dad is always the most useless always. character, but uh, he's good there. Um I'm trying to think who else. I definitely not the mom, definitely not the brother. I wrote them. I wrote them <laughs> as the useless mother and the brother who kind of are just there, just here, there yeah. to stop Morgan from doing his thing. Um, but they're I, not I wrong. Who else? <laughs> No, they're That's... not. <laughs> but there's a lot of favoritism the mom is playing with, with the older brother, which is really, yeah. you know, 100%. But the yeah. fact is, is like they're doing a lot of stuff like, why don't you call the police? And he's like, no, <laughs> why don't you... no, why don't we find out who shot dad and go get that guy with the police? <laughs> no. Right. Can I also say that the whole stuff with the bike? Uh, on this viewing definitely gave me Karate Kid vibes. Like, yeah, I, I feel like that's the reason why this whole Morgan on the bike thing is here is because they watched the Karate Kid. That was a big thing that came out the year before. I'm like, okay, we have to have him on a bike. It's really funny you bring that up because the film starts, you know, with the with the kind of a cool badass music cue that is sort of reminiscent of like Into the Night. Like you feel like this, like is are the Cobra Kai coming around the corner? And then it is like Morgan gently pedaling he's like he's coming over the hill so slowly 
you're like, oh, this isn't very cool. Like this isn't badass at all. <laughs> and then, you know, it's a, it's a fun. There's a lot of montages as per 80s rules, but oh, yes. it opens with with the most kind of gentle, <laughs> gentle Morgan biking, biking through the darkness. Are we to believe too he's listening to that song? We'll we'll get to the soundtrack later, but are we to believe that he's listening to Love Hates by Marianne Faithful? I hope so because uh, I, I I love that track and me too. Yeah, he uh it's a weird it, it's a weird choice. There's a lot of weird choices, it's but we'll a very get to weird that choice. later. I think he's listening to Bebop Luba. <laughs> I think he just he's <laughs> just be that's why because he's moving about that speed. That's probably in his head, yeah. You know? That's true. Bebop Aluba. It remind that Bebop Aluba, by the way, reminds rides reminds me of fr- in Fright Night when Charlie Brewster is coming home, uh, and, and he's going Bebop Aluba, and I'm like again with the Bebop Aluba. What's what's going on with that? Um, but bike culture in the '80s, like this, was one of those movies that I saw a guy I looked up to, like you did, Michael, on a on and he's on a bike, and it made me want to get a bike. Maybe you want to get a 10 speed yeah. so bad. And it looks very similar to the Quicksilver uh, 10 speed that Kevin Bacon has in Quicksilver. There's something about that idea. You look very free. Like you look very independent when you're riding a bike like that. I don't know why, but as a kid watching this, I was like, I want a bike like that so bad. I was certainly fascinated by them too, because living in New York City, because we didn't have, I didn't have a bike until we moved out to Brooklyn. So it's like, okay. <laughs> I was like seeing them on screen for some reason. You basically went over the majority of like the the big people in the cast, but any cameos stand out for you guys? Any cameos where you're like, I wouldn't recognize that person. Um, I recognize that person. I mean, you know, we I like this like someone goes, oh wait, that's a character from a very popular '80s movie that I I didn't know he was in anything else other than this big blockbuster film. Um, well, well, we didn't by chance we didn't mention Vidal Sassoon's daughter, but but I that's well, yeah, not that, who you're yeah. talking about. Uh, no, I'm talking about a particular mayor. Oh, um, mayor. Uh, of course, uh, uh, mayor. Uh, Back to the Future. Um, Goldie. Uh, yes, Goldie. Mayor Goldie, mayor Goldie Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Donald yes. full of love. Donald full of love. I did notice him, but old. it it was kind of like, oh, it wasn't like very notable in that way, because I clearly forgot that I saw. Him. I I don't know if you noticed it too, Michael, but but when he comes on screen, just for literally five seconds, or not even five seconds, maybe th- yeah, three seconds, I'm like, whoa, I I know that guy from one movie, and it just immediately Mayor stood out Goldie to me. Goldie Wilson. It's right when Morgan first gets enrolled at school. Right. Yeah, he got me there. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Zach, to be fair, we need to be clear here. Zach has broken this movie down frame by frame for a previous <laughs> podcast, for Podcasting After Dark. So you don't have to feel bad when he's like, at frame 47 seconds, this comes in because he was going through with a microfiche machine and, and, and analyzing it. Um, 
an amazing breakdown on podcasting after dark. One of their very first episodes, at least four years ago, right? Yeah, it was. It was one of the because I I like you do too, Michael. I love exploitation, teen exploitation films, and I think Tough Turf, next to Class of nineteen eighty four, is probably at the top of my list as far as um. And I think I like this movie so much overall, and I'll just say this right now. It, it 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 definitely has dark moments throughout, but there's enough light moments throughout that very much elevate it to like a a lighthearted sense overall. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this movie sure. deals with intense subject matter. You know, uh, battery and and a level of violence that you wouldn't see on daytime television or regular t- TV at the time. But then the the music montages or the 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 scenes in the school, which I also wanted more of, more high school scenes where they're actually going to class, um, those make it a little bit lighter, a little more easy to palette the uh, the hard scenes. Right. Oh, for sure. I think, like you said, the montages kind of break things up. I think there's intentional montages throughout the film. I think even the director talked about that somewhere. I just kind of wanted to go there to stick, also to get more information into the scenes, get more get more information on the screen, but to make it fun and, and kind of light instead of this, like, uh, and then cut it with these scenes of where it gets really dark and, and dirty, like a lot of uh, 80s movies could do in this time period. But uh, so it is a weird, it is an interesting mix that a lot of movies can't pull off very well. But this one seems to do that. And I think I attribute a lot of that to the cast, of course, with James Spader, but also the music, I think, helps a lot, mm-hmm. too, I think, mm-hmm. uh, lift you into those, into you those know scenes. What? Oh, I'm so sorry. I just it just occurred to me as you were talking that uh what this movie doesn't have that many of the other teen exploitation movies have is a scene where the bad guys fight a teacher, you know, or injure a principal or or some, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's no real authority other than like the guy who sort of admonishes James Spader for having a bike on campus, the, the security guard that you see two times in the movie. Um, there's never, there's never really a, uh, get your ass out of here. You know, like, fuck you teach. And like, you know, some, <laughs> some, uh, because there's always that kind of false sense of like, Oh, the teachers are going to take care of this. Right. And then they, a movie will usually show you that's false. And the teacher gets thrown through a window right. or something or like, you know, um, and then we're like, uh Oh, now Morgan's got to handle it or whoever, you know, the protagonist. He's the principal, man. Yeah, right. Um, an, ex- an, an expulsion usually has to happen. And you don't... Like a strong, yeah, yeah there, strong teacher. And there isn't that here. And in fact, um, a lot of this movie is not at school at all, like you said. Yeah, a lot of it's... No. The, you see, a lot of it's just on the streets of LA and or going to like a warehouse party or... Um, just, uh, just this romancing on the streets and alleys and all these weird places and, and all their apartments. Um, it's very gritty in that way. Um, where it, where it takes it away from that, that the confinements of like uh, a school, like you see, you have a lot of scenes in the karate kid, which are at the school. It gives you that kind of, uh, very LA kind of almost idyllic, like what you kind of imagine California schools are like here. It's like, it has that school, but it's so gritty as well because you have you see all those a lot of dirty dark streets of la in this movie so it has kind of like this this tone which is uh which is interesting 
uh, because of that. And um, yeah, it was funny how there isn't any real kind of uh, figures, like uh, school figures, kind of the opposite of like a three o'clock high or something, where there's a lot of focus on those on those types. But here it's there's none, almost none. And uh, it, they were kind of left to their own devices. And uh, certainly Morgan has to take matters into his own hands, as we know. This is similar in that Karate Kid sense where it's Daniel. Well, da- Daniel really had Miyagi the whole time, but Morgan is kind of on his own. You know, I, I know that um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Jimmy, bails him out, you know, a couple times, uh, most notably with some pit bull dogs. Doberman. And, uh, <laughs> D- sorry, Doberman, Doberman dogs. Pit bull yes. gets such a bad rap. But I want to clarify. Doberman's, uh, Doberman Pinchers. If this movie was made now, they'd probably use pit bulls, but back in the day, Dobermans were like the dog yeah. to use in, in every, uh, you know, if it was any sort of attack scene with a dog. Anybody breaking a in anywhere, any burglaries, any sneaking in to get files, there was always a Doberman guarding it. Yeah. <laughs> Say flesh. Yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you were saying when they go to the warehouse that in the montages, that this does have montages. I, I We might have to lump that into the soundtrack discussion but um, my God, like they are full on dance numbers in these scenes. It's not just, you know, a couple people doing some moves. There's like choreograph up the butt in this mm-hmm. movie when it comes to dance scenes. Choreograph from some someone who worked on a West Side Story. And as you, as you, could, you could see it, it's, it's there in the, in the, in the choreography. <laughs> It's, so it's obvious. kind of crazy like that yeah they went to that you know to someone who worked on that movie and like okay you have to you have to give it that vibe from this and they kind of do and uh yeah it's it's 50s 60s but then it's you know they're kind of like wearing like 80s clothes so it's kind of fun to see that that mix <laughs> definitely in that warehouse scene i and i i just want to shout him out because uh olivia barish brought him up in our interview uh but panchito gomez plays one of the uh, gang members with um with paul mones who plays uh, nick hauser and panchito gomez i i remember seeing him in american me he's just a great like kind of ensemble supporting actor character actor uh and Paul Mones, I think this is one of the one of the few things that I kind of take issue with in this movie. He's not that intimidating as a as a lead bully. And I remember him. Maybe it's because I saw this movie after Streets of Fire, where he gets slapped around by um, by uh, Michael Perret. But he doesn't come across to me as very like intimidating. And Morgan never seems to be really bothered by him until. You know, when he just like gets ganged up on, he never, right? Do you guys feel that same way too, Dustin? Do you feel like he's not a very intimidating villain? No, well, I mean, it's, it is, it's almost like a video game, right? Cause you have, cause Morgan is like this one character and like, especially at the end where he has to kind of ascend through the warehouse, like it's various levels, picking off the little goons and that kind of thing. Very game of, uh, game it, of, it's death just very, um, it's never an even fight ever and you you're you're almost you you get exhausted by the end you're like let let him just have the one on one and of course you're right he's not necessarily intimidating he's not he's kind of a coward paul like even to the point where like yeah. when dad has the upper hand during the scene where you know they're jumping morgan's dad it's like he pulls out a gun it's kind of surprising cuz you're like man what a coward like he can't even totally. he's just going to shoot this old man who he again was jumped by five guys for no reason um, 
So, right. you know, and dad, like, like you said, Michael, he's a badass. He's kicking ass. And then they're like, okay, I guess we got to shoot him or whatever. And uh, it's almost just like this insecurity <laughs> that, that, that Nick, yes. the character, you know, the Paul Mona, the character of Nick has where, you know, his girl is suddenly not really into him anymore, you know, and he has to like, he has lines that just say like, I, I take what I want or I get what I need or like, you know, he's just yelling out these cliched 80s villains things you know yeah morgan is is not really intimidated at any point um other than i guess the sort of the questionably edited um bike um face off the the, sort of the chicken scene in the beginning well right you know at the school where they 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 take his bike they're messing with his bike it's like you want your bike you know it's just like total bully 80s bully stuff like here's your bike and then like morgan could easily take his bike walk away get on it drive whatever but instead he just stands there when this car slowly (laughs) revs up and like oh this is like the longest edited thing obviously it's a choice but it's like dude like you know you're screaming (laughs) at the screen like just get out of the way morgan let's just take the bike like you can save both yourself and the bike very easily um doesn't do it the bike is damaged and then he just is kind of like I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to pick up my bike and I'm going to go home. And, you know, um, realizing that he's now in this situation that we know as the audience, he's been in at every single school he goes to. Right. Just another guy, another bully, another problem. I will say that the locker room scene, which is a very tough scene, you know, it's a, it's a hard scene because Morgan certainly gets beat up in a pretty brutal way. But the way sure does yeah. the way Nick sort of enters into that scene, um, and then watches is there's definitely some homoeroticism going on there, which I picked oh, up on, and my actually my wife picked up on this this viewing as well. Uh, the way he's like watching and he's like leaning up against the thing. No one's wearing shirts, right? Everyone's pretty much half naked, and he's watching Morgan get beat up, and he seems to be getting really aroused by it in an mm-hmm. interesting way i thought that was kind of a an interesting way to go i don't think that the directors talked about that scene in, in, in that in that way so it may be just something another read on it but i i do like that there's another kind of level yeah. to that no but you, maybe that was but you're right though it's basically a prison rape scene i mean that mm-hmm. is what it is tonally because even the right. way it's it's and and tonally this movie does do those shifts where you know, uh, it is kind of like, it's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, just kidding. It's now, um, you know, it, it's Bad Boys or whatever. It really is. Um, sure. And Bad Boys, Sean Penn, to be clear, not uh, not Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence. The movie I've never seen. And you're not missing out. But um, <laughs> but the, the fact is, is right. it's kind of like Morgan's really feeling himself. There's a boom box play. You know, he's like, oh, one of the classics, huh? You got to... You got to love oh, those yeah. classics. And then all of a sudden that guy is just gone. And tonally we are in this, like <laughs> the guys appear and they're like, Hey, Hey Morgan, you know, taunting him with these, with this, this, this soap in the sock or the locker in the sock. What is it? Yeah. Blocker locks in the sock. Mm-hmm. Locker sock Lock in the sock. sock. That's lock. what I call it. Um, That's what I call the classic it. Lock in the uh, sock. But I yeah. totally yes. don't be a lock. I soccer. totally agree. I mean, I was feeling that as well. <laughs> and it happened very fast. I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty homoerotic and very dark, and um, 
And another example of Morgan not being able to accept defeat or acknowledge what's going on, right? He's just kind of like, no, it's all right. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Meanwhile, I mean, he definitely has broken ribs. Like, at the very least, (laughs) at the very least, and then at the worst, you know, some spinal damage. I was too distracted by the fact that he has a spade tattooed spade on his spade. arm. Oh my gosh. Spader's got a spade. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. I feel like that tattoo, you do see it like in, in a, maybe at least another movie with Spader. Um, but he, I think in new kids, is it a new kids too? New yeah. Kids. It's just, yeah. Cause he's, he's wearing a speedo in, in a spader and <laughs> a spade. It's like such an on the nose tattoo. So Michael, Michael, do you have a Ferrari yeah. tattoo on your arm? <laughs> oh, one day, one day when I'm in a juvenile delinquent movie, I could show it off. <laughs> Michael's like, no, I just yeah. drive a Ferrari. <laughs> uh, hit that hard castle and McCormick music. Drive. I want to ask you guys, what is your favorite montage in this movie? There's, there's, I think, three, how, four montages? There's probably at least four. So, Dustin, do you have a favorite mm. montage? It's so hard movie? because, as listeners of the show know, 90 minutes is my sweet spot. I think all movies should be 90 minutes. This movie is two hours. I don't know why. Because you could yeah, it's an easily three minutes. lose all three montages. <laughs> I agree. Except for one. Well, except for one. So I don't necessarily have a favorite. I feel like they're very similar. Um, you know, the or, or not even the montages, but just like the dance scenes, let's say, right? Like the um yeah. It's like, is this kind of the same beat? And we're having it again. Um a little bit differently. I mean, I like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, there's a lot that there's a lot I would lose. Before, before I get to you, Michael and ask you, so Dustin, there there's, I believe there's four, right? So there's the first one in the warehouse with the Jim Carroll band, which we'll talk about in a minute. Then there is the, um, Jack Mack and the heart attack. And then there is the Beverly Hills, uh, country club or the, the Riviera, uh, country club, and then there is the finale back in the club with Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. So I believe there's it's, four, well, it's sort of how right? we define a montage, right? Because it's like we're not we're not really advancing time with this, no. Which More is how you scene. would normally, right? Like we'll go through a bunch of things here, and right, like a montage of trying on clothes or something, and it's like this is more like strangely edited dance scenes. I think is what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So what's your favorite strangely edited dancing? <laughs> uh, my favorite strangely edited dancing is the first one with the Jim Carroll band, um, with, um, Robert Denny Jr. Topless with his bow tie on drums, not bow tie. He's got goggles, right? Goggles. Um, yes. And, uh, and Morgan aggressively, aggressively not letting Frankie, have any air at all and another reason when i'm like dude you're terrible like 
I just want to talk to you. What? Like she can't. Um, no, you love me. Right. You love just me. Say just say you it. love you know me. You do. Um, but everything that's going on, uh, choreography wise, like there's so much happening. It's really, it's really cool. And you know, I am a, a, a fan of, of what Jim Carroll is doing uh, in this movie. I think that is the because he he features two songs in that scene that um, comes in with it's too late and then it's the voices song that plays when Morgan kidnaps uh, Frankie and uh, that song he kidnaps is a Frankie. Song. Frankie. He does. He kidnaps her. I mean, he yeah. pretty much does. He kidnaps her. He does. Yeah, yeah. How about how about you, Michael? What's your favorite? Um, what do we call it? Uh, non montage <laughs> awkward dancing scene. I view it as it's like two parter of of uh montage it's the drive through beverly hills which that is a montage right. straight montage oh and they're like edit- that's a montage and they're editing the music to they're editing the scenes to the music which is really cool i didn't see a lot of back then it's like something new that was happening in movies and and then it leads to the country club scene which has its own other montage inside of it so i guess it's like a one two one two punch of those i think really um do it for me and i like that the montage, the second part montage with Inside the Country Club was apparently reshoots. Um, um, all the stuff where they're like talking to people and like making all these weird jokes um, where the girls are making jokes about uh, about size mattering and then uh, and then like uh, Morgan's acting like uh, upper crusty with people to, to, to get in with the rich people to, to, to blend in. I think all that stuff was added later. Um, apparently to uh, to kind of beef up the scene to make it funnier to make it to make it wackier toss it in the fridge we got it the next day for brunch with bodies well, first I gagged and I, after a while it was really easy you guys swallow don't you uh, my favorite part uh, I'd like to say in all sincerity this is the most fun I've ever had in my life you're a fantastic crowd I'm having a terrific that couple over there I bet you came in a BMW tonight, didn't you? I came in a BMW once. Yeah, Olivia actually, Olivia in our interview spoke a little bit about that scene uh, and and the improv that was involved in that scene. And and, and we didn't give her enough props uh, when we were talking about the cast because as Ronnie, and I agree with you what you said in the beginning that you wanted more of her. She is a true highlight to this film. She's also a bad girl too. Like the, the whole... The thing is with Frankie and Ronnie, they are gang girls. They're part of a gang. So they sure. do some shady stuff in the beginning of this movie where you're like, they're not likable either. Uh, <laughs> really, Jimmy's like the only one who's kind of the innocent throughout this whole thing. Uh, and he just kind of, if you think about it, he's the only one that just gets swept up in all the craziness. But that scene obviously is when we're treated to, uh, James Spader sing, sorry, not James Spader, <clears throat> Paul hmm. Carney, uh, singing, uh, for we walk the night. I feel your tears. I touch your smile. 
start to segue into the soundtrack a little bit now because that song is so cheesy uh but it's so beautiful and i I love it so much i mean that's probably why i like that montage so much because it ends with a ballad like (laughs) so bizarre like like, where should we go next with this movie i have a ballad i guess (laughs) that's why it's almost two hours long dustin because it's got this you know, and and it gives fe- it gives featured time to a awkward, terrible wedding singer band. Oh, apparently, I think was right. I think I think uh, somebody who worked on the movies in the band, so like the cinematographer oh. or something. Well, yeah. I mean, you that's they nice. go in and they're playing Twist and Shout, and you're like, oh, Twist and Shout, like, but that's but that is the Ferris Bueller aspect to, of it, right? Like, as it is like this, let's make it kind of this thing um, where they are off having fun, and suddenly the movie becomes this kind of goofy, comedic um, thing. And out of the four kids, it seems like Frankie is not doing as, as much. Like, she's not really playing along with the game, whereas they're all like, we're doing characters, or we're doing these things. (laughs) Uh, She's kind of like, I don't. She's just looking good, right? And and Spader's trying to, you know, get her. Like they're all wondering who you are and where you've been, and like every everywhere every everywhere they enter, he's trying to like, you know, pump her up in some mental, mental way. But we walk the night is the first moment where Frankie actually likes him. It's yes. the turn, yep. And I don't know why, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> You might not know why, but I believe Michael and I know why, because because <laughs> he's so good. He's just so good at lip syncing Paul Carney. <laughs> I really thought that was James Spader. Did you guys think that was James Spader when, when you first saw this, that singing that song? I definitely did when I was a kid. I was totally like, oh, yeah, he's now singing and he's very, he's a very nice yeah. voice. I don't think lip syncing yeah. was really even like on my radar as like a thing as a kid, you no, know, me neither, me neither. And I, and I really quickly, you brought up the wedding, the, 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 the name of the wedding band is J.R. and the Z men. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. I like them less now. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Because there's only one Z man. It's uh it's Tom Zink. It's a wrestler. Obviously we walk the night is very memorable scene. I don't know that you actually oh, need yes. it. Um, if, you know, if, if you were going to lose a half hour, could you, could you lose it? You could lose it. Um, you'd need another spot for Frankie to kind of start liking him. But immediately following this, they have that kind of walk at the fountain, uh, where Morgan is getting incredibly vulnerable and, uh, you know, it's just like, it's so overly sincere where like kids in the eighties would never talk this way to each other. Um, 
And of course, they're not kids. I'm just, it, just, it just reminded me of that scene in um, Class of 1984 where the bad guy starts playing the piano really well and it kind of changes. And then it starts changing people's perceptions of him. I just like, feel like that's maybe it in here too for that. To, oh, Morgan is not just this typical rebel. He's actually pretty talented too underneath it. They both play the piano. Just Morgan happens to sing. Um, and that doesn't that scene end with <laughs> Stegman just see it going like, do I get the fucking gig teach or something like something like that? <laughs> yeah. I love that moment, Stegman. Um, oh God, I love that moment. Uh, so, so I guess talking more about the soundtrack, Marianne Faithful opens. Don't anybody please say, oh, I know her when she played uh, that song with Metallica, man, because Marianne Faithful is a legendary singer and uh, recording artist and very dark and brooding. And that sets this movie up in a weird way because you're like, is this what this is this movie going to be this kind of tone throughout this? Ah. (laughs) It's not, obviously, because we 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 finish it with what ends up being the highlight of the movie for me anyways. But yeah, Marianne Faithful. Any thoughts, guys, about Marianne Faithful? I love this track. Um, if if you listen, it was written it was written and arranged by the guy who did the music for the movie, Jonathan Elias. And if you listen to the movie, actually that music kind of plays throughout um yep. throughout the film. So it's kind of used almost as a score. So it's kind of so it has like a it has like a through line through it. So which is nice to have that to have start off with some a piece of music and then have it play in pieces throughout. It kind of changes definitely towards the end when Jack Mack and all that stuff kind of uh, becomes another thing. But um, but I kind of like that it was there underneath the scenes. It, it gave me kind of like um, it, it was like something I recognized pretty early on uh, while watching movies like, oh, that you could use a piece of music or song and use it as score. Which uh, which happened, you know, a lot in the later in the eighties, which was nice uh, to see it here in this movie. But it was it wasn't necessarily, but uh, but I'm totally echoing or agreeing with you. It's it wasn't very common though to mm-hmm. hear a movie kind of get a song get brought up. Very unfaithful. Uh, it's a big get. The soundtrack actually, I feel, is is a very strong overall soundtrack for a movie that. Like you said, Michael, it was forgotten about. It was, it was not, it's a, it, this is a true cult movie. Not everybody knows, even the biggest Spader fans don't even know about Tough Turf, I believe. You know, it's just, it's not mainstream well, at all. Well, that's weird. So, Marion, you can't call I yourself so. a Spader fan and not know Tough Turf. I just know a lot more, a lot of people who like, who are, who like Spader who don't bring up Tough Turf. I think a lot of that's because he made so many movies like after this, like one after the other. And it kind of like, you know, it's kind of yeah. fell in the back of his, you know, filmography. And it's not, it's not mentioned as much because there's so many other things. He yeah. did in the 80s, I mean, he's rat pack adjacent. So uh, of right. course that would take precedent in, uh, in mainstream times. But uh, you know, I still feel like, I still feel like you gotta know it. You gotta know it. <laughs> sure Dustin you brought up Jim Carroll earlier and and he's got three songs on this soundtrack 
uh, People Who Died, which is like very much his punk anthem. It's a really sad song, actually. And mm-hmm. but it's a, it's used so well in the film. And obviously the, the, the two other songs I brought up, Voices and um, It's Too Late. Of those three songs, which one is your favorite, Dustin? Uh, I think it's People Who Died. And I think part of it is that because that's remained more in the pop culture world. It was uh, featured in the latest Suicide Squad movie. Yes, that's right. Quite well. And um, and it, it it is one of those like songs like, you know, like Cherry Bomb or something where it's just it is representative of a culture and it's representative of a tone shift in whatever you want. Like if you if you're like, I want a little chaos, you know, you can take a song like this. All the people who died, died. And it's like and it's um, it's used really well in this movie. about you michael i think uh, yeah either that song or voices kind of stand out to me i think all those having him be in the movie and and singing these songs as a performance which is i think really right. incredible and also sets this movie itself uh, apart from other things at the time because there you had bands in movies and there were a lot of fun bands in movies but um this was kind of like uh another way to go with kind of music and not something that was kind of obvious you, you would have it in a teen movie and it, it it adds a lot to the film i think and it certainly sets a tone pretty early on with that when they're in the when the warehouse and listening to this and, uh, and of course dancing and all that stuff but i think it's i think it's yeah really cool so those two songs in particular i like the third track too but i think those are the two that always stick out in my head uh, because of the performances in the film and it's interesting too about Jim Carroll because I'm familiar with him being a a poet and a, and a punk rocker. I, I feel like majority of his material, his time was spent in New York. He's more of an East Coast kind of guy, right? In, in doing this West Coast movie, because this is very much a West Coast vibe to it throughout. And he has a speaking role in the movie, and maybe he got his you know sad card that way or something <laughs> but uh, uh i think a lot of people associate him with the basketball diaries but if you don't know his music like this is a nice start to it because i agree with both of you i'd say people who died in voices are really cool tracks um i couldn't find out if robert downey jr really did play drums on this but that would be amazing and cool if he did mm, yeah he certainly like was he had the energy that he could in the scene yeah, like really. he did <laughs> he had a lot of energy in that scene yes people love to point out that there's a moment in this where James Spader and Robert Downey Jr walk past a piece of graffiti that says like the avengers on it or something um, the new avengers that's right new avengers yeah <laughs> but i just had to i had to get that out there before someone goes you never brought that uh, up but the new avengers was it was a show in the 70s i mean so i, I think it's just obviously oh, auspicious cool. coincidence I didn't know that. but yeah it was like a like a spy show or something. So. Oh, okay. um, cool. Yeah. But obviously James Spader, Ultron, RDJ, Iron Man. And you brought up Michael, how the Marianne faithful song love hates kind of 
is reminded throughout. But and we're talking about this movie being totally a tonal shift all over the place at times. It goes right from that to Southside Johnny's Tough Turf song, which is quintessential 80s upbeat. John Bon Jovi apparently said that Southside Johnny is the reason that he became like the rocker that he is because Southside was a big New Jersey guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He kind of has a John Cafferty Beaver Brown band vibe to him as well. That reminds me, Dustin, when, when we covered Cobra and we talked about voices of American sons, this song reminds, it's very similar vibe to, uh, to that. You guys know which eighties movie Southside Johnny performs in? Mm-mm. No, I mean yes, but tell a, us. a really <laughs> a really fun '80s movie from 1987. One of my favorites. Um, he performs in Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, oh. you got us! <laughs> well done. Which uh, that's awesome. Which is a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I I was a huge, obviously a very huge fan of that movie. But um, I, so I didn't really make the connection until later on that he had a song in this soundtrack. But it, I think it was used during the mon- was montage song, wasn't it? This song is is used when he, when Morgan first rolls up to school. It's like a school uh, montage. I feel like a lot yeah, of like a lot of like school shenanigans and walks past the security guard and he's like, you know, throws that line. You, you ever use that thing or something? <laughs> and uh, that security guard, by the way, uh, I think a year later or later this year was in Fright Night as a detective when Charlie goes to get a the police, you know, to go over to jerry's house but that moment is so weird it's like you ever use that thing and then <laughs> the guy weird. seems to be like offended or proud or goofy it's like <laughs> suddenly the security guard's like a cartoon character it's just like moments like that where i think what i'm trying to get at and i haven't said yet is that there are movies that take us to this nostalgic place that's why we like them and i think this yes. is one of those movies a hundred percent right all three of us have 100%. seen it when we were kids it all means different things to us. And when we watch it, we're taken back to those times. We like this movie regardless. If you are watching this for the first time, you might be a little bit like, what? What's going on? This is like yeah. weird. Um, yeah. Now it's dark. It's now fair. it's silly. Now it's goofy. Is it a comedy? What? What is this movie? It's a revenge flick. It's an action movie. And, you know, it's two hours of sort of inconsistent tone. Totally. Sure. But I want to ask you, Dustin, this song, Tough Turf, could you put this on any depressing scene in any movie and suddenly that scene becomes upbeat and lighthearted? <laughs> play the scene. <laughs> song? Could you play the song with it? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, I, I guess I have so much to say about Jack Mack and the Heart Attack, also used twice. Let's get into it, please. We're introduced to them. Early on, can I, can we just also, this is just kind of a digression, but in all of these movies where there is like a bully or a, uh, an, an antagonizing gang of some kind, they always have to end up at the exact same parties. Like everybody's always in the exact same social circles. 
Yeah. You know, where you're like, there's no way this guy's walking into this party. Okay. Like, why, <laughs> why does this gang want to be, you know, at this party? Why do they, and then I'm talking about Jim Carroll, you know, uh, initially. Yeah. The warehouse. But, uh, okay. So Jack Mack and the Heart Attack, real band. From Los Angeles. And my understanding is that Jack Mack is actually the drummer of this band. He is. Obviously, that's, that's not his real name. But, uh, you know, you've got Frankie, everywhere she goes, she's standing out. And, and, and also in lecherous ways. We should really say this, too, that the most kind of 80s aspect of this is like old men, young men, uh, middle-aged men, they all just leer. They, uh, you know, they just, it's, it's real gross. And she's looking right, so she's good. She's just looking so good. <laughs> so wherever she goes, everybody's just staring at her, basically. Um, and so she's at this uh, first, you know, club uh, after, after the, the warehouse. warehouse. Right. Yeah. It's- I, I, thank you. Because I'm going to lose my, my time order. But is this the one where she's, is this the first one where she's doing her flips? This is the first right. one where she does her flips and the famous sweater scene right. where the it's amazing. Right. And she leaves such an imprint on the band that when she comes back, when the dust settles, there's even this like, hey, like into incorporated into the song. Hey, there's that there's that chick from last time. You know something, baby. When you walked into that room, I could not believe my eyes. So fine, strutting across that floor <laughs> in that little red skirt. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. You remember her? They're, they're like yeah. leering at her. They're leering at her the second time around the finale. Yes. And the entire band fixates on her. Yeah. And then all is well as we, as we T-U-F-F, <laughs> you're so tough, our way into the credits. obviously leaving out a lot of things that have happened between that but <laughs> no but i i think that's fair because i think a lot of people uh actually have not seen this movie and i just want to do a quick shout out because they they're not a sponsor of our show but i feel like they should be but the kino lorber put out a s- stunning blu-ray of tough turf and of course the soundtrack is one of the highlights but kino if, if it's it's really cheap. You can get it for like fifteen bucks, I think, on Amazon. But um, or you can win it on our fundraiser next year. I mean, look, you're you're joking, but Kino is a sponsor of our show. They they supply Blu-rays for every giveaway that we do, and uh, they're an outstanding company. And if we could give you a promo code, we would do that, and we'll work on that. 
Yeah, and actually stay tuned to our, if you're not a patron, consider becoming a patron on our Patreon. Uh, and we do a live trivia once a month. And down the road, potentially, very, very well, good possibility, we might have some prizes uh, courtesy of Kino Lorber. So um, look out for that and become a patron and support the show. But, Michael, what's your familiarity with Jack Mack and the heart attack? <laughs> Okay, well, I only know them from this movie. And okay, because I w- I got a little trivia question for you in a minute. Okay, good. Definitely a 50s, 60s aesthetic going on. It's not my kind of music. Put that, let, play that out yeah. there right now. But I understand the choice for the film, considering what they were going for. Um, I personally think these kids should probably be in a new wave club, kind of, in the 80s. Like, maybe the club from The Terminator. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, Tech Noir. Tech noir, maybe that's kind of my what I would choose if I were doing an eighties, uh, mid eighties uh, teen movie. Agreed. The band's kind of like a dad band uh, <laughs> with a lot of mustaches and a lot of open shirts oh, and man cleavage. It's a lot of man cleavage. Um, so it's a lot to look at. It's a lot of look. I mean, thankfully Kim Richards has really long hair, which we haven't talked about yet. Uh, thankfully, she could do those flips or her her dance double could do those flips because it distracts you away from the band because there's so many of them and like i said so many so many open shirts and so so much <laughs> so much that. just it's, hair it's, it's very yeah. yeah a lot of it um and interestingly uh, a little tri- trivia that i have too is uh originally up for kim richard's part madonna um the director talks about that okay. uh but um uh, she was up for it but uh, they wanted kim richard's Madonna was you basically trying to get the role only to almost lever use it as leverage to get her role in Desperately Seeking Susan, which she succeeded at doing and obviously worked out for her. And I, we love her in Desperately Seeking Susan. Love that movie. Wow. Um, but it was funny that it, she could have been in this movie and she could have been dancing probably for real and singing. Maybe maybe she's singing to um, to our hero oh, Morgan man. in this movie instead right. uh, if it was Madonna that, that's the alternate reality uh, of uh, Tough Turf but it uh, didn't go that way uh, we get Kim Richards and her dance double and I think it's a lot of fun and her hair is crazy and big and, so and it big was, you know she had real real big hair back then she grew it out for a long for a long time in her over over her life and um, it's just uh, it was a marvel to look at the crimpness of it all and the scene, it's a fun scene because of that, because of that dancing element, I think. It distracts me again away from the maybe the music that I'm not so into as much. But um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun for what it is. I, when sure. the, first, uh, the first band I played in when I moved down to Los Angeles was a dad band. And they loved, um, and I, I think it's a great movie too, The Commitments. They love The Commitments. They love the soundtrack in that. But I think that spawned a whole love of like Wilson Pickett songs. Mustang and Sally. Mustang Sally, yeah, which I'm not a fan of Mustang Sally. Right, but, you don't like it for some reason. But but then they wanted us to cover She's Looking Good. And, and I'm like, oh man, we were doing a kid's fundraiser. Uh, and, and, and I'm like, we're doing She's Looking Good at a kid's fair? I don't. That doesn't mm. sit well with me. It's just a weird song to choose. But then I see Tough Turf again. I was I forgotten that they do this song in Tough Turf, and I watched it, you know, years later, and I'm like, oh, I like this version way better than the Wilson Pickett version. If I had to pick one, so Jack Mack and the Heart Attack had a song called or had an album called Cardiac Party. <laughs> Funny, uh, but it was produced by Glenn Fry, which I think is pretty badass. And they did have another song in another 80s movie, 
uh, Jealous Heart, and that was in the movie Vamp, which uh, I briefly mentioned in our Lost Boys episode. Great song, great bass line and guitar in that. If you guys have never heard Jealous Heart, well, I'm going to play a little bit of that as well, because I think we should champion Jack Black, Jack, Jack Black, Jack Mack in the Heart Attack. on their wikipedia it's like they're known for being the the house band that was performing at the summer olympics when the bomb exploded in 1996 and you're like oh that's a great claim to fame what a a thing to be known for but they also um (laughs) there's also a track on beverly hills cop 2 yes that's uh, right and uh i think the first police academy um Hmm. along and 18 again and Porky's okay. Revenge, and okay. Back to the Future, and Spring Break, and Grandview USA. Wow. So my my thinking is that they're an LA-based band. There's producers, there's people involved. Hollywood is here, going to the club, see this band. They're like, we got to get these guys for our movie. They're great. I guess. And if, I don't know. It, I it, mean. If you look up past members or members of the band, it is like 30 people. I'm I'm sort of exaggerating, but not really. It's insane. Right. They've definitely, I mean, they've been, they're, you know, they're still playing. So you've got, you know, a rotation of so many horn section. So many horn swoggling. So many, so much horns and chest hair. Is, uh, is, is so tough the, the, the better song of the two of theirs? Do you guys agree with that, Michael? Hmm. So tough or she's looking good? <laughs> You oh, gotta I choose. choose. I would say, I would say, so tough. Look at Michael's pulling out his vinyl for so everyone listening, tough. and I'm pulling my vinyl and cassette tape out. Mm. You're, you're pulling your vinyl, <laughs> yanking the vinyl. Yeah, Lee, Lee, our boy Lee Germanis, you gotta appreciate that. I love that it has the twist and shout on it's, here too. Yeah, me too. Actually, I can listen to that anytime. And I'm now. just gonna skirt over the fact that breaking the rules <laughs> uh, by Lenny Lovich or Len Lovich. Oh it, yeah, I I love her actually. I think she's a real fun new wave uh, uh, new wave artist. Um, it's 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 also an interesting choice too. But uh, that was another song written by Jonathan Elias, who did most of the songs on the soundtrack, which is yeah. Cool. He he's uh he's actually like a soundtrack guy. He did a bunch of soundtracks for like Bond movies and um, uh, wrote a song with uh, Andy Taylor. For a movie, mm. uh, or nine and a half weeks, uh, nine and a half weeks, I think. That's yeah, right. So, um, and I did not look that up. That was all from memory because I was a big fan. Uh, <laughs> See, I had to write it down: nine and a half weeks and two moon junction. So you're going with so tough? Is that what we're gonna go with, Michael? So okay, so tough, and yeah. Dustin, so tough. So, or, so tough. She's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Really quick, as we as we start to wrap up. I've got three facts. Wait, before from... you transition, I, we, I just need to, I think we just, please. there are a couple of th- notable things about this movie. Sorry, sorry, I yes, just, please. You know, I know I know we're not keeping it in order, but we do need to wrap up with these thoughts, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts about this. 
if you have any. But uh, the big thing here, uh, Paul Mones, who played Nick, 29 years old. He's 29 wow. years old when he made this movie. Is he supposed to be 18 in this? Yes. Spader, 25. Kim Richards, 20. And Robert Downey Jr. is our baby at 19 years old. Wow. Um, so nobody is high school age. How old was Olivia in this? Um, probably in her great question. 20s as well, right? I don't know. Right? The one person that we have on the show, I don't know. But we can figure that out and edit in later. Um, just wanted to mention that. And uh, the idea that Morgan's dad was a rich man, lost his money. Why would you choose to relocate the family to Los Angeles to become a cab driver after losing your business in Connecticut? <laughs> I don't, right? I, who knows? I mean, that's Very what you question. do. <clears throat> that's what you do. When all, when all is lost, you move out to LA. If you're going to be a cab driver, I mean, New York's probably a better city to do that. Yeah, because, I mean, th this film, we didn't also talk about the location because at one point they're like in Santa Monica. Oh, uh, yeah, the bike, the clear, right. But that's just like what we talked about in Thrashing, where if you know the city... This bothers you. If you don't know the city, you're just like, wow, he's really driving everywhere. We got ocean, palm trees, whatever. Look, um, California looks beautiful, man. Uh, <laughs> and seedy, too. So, I don't know, right? Whatever. Story point. Who cares? You can't think about it too much. But the big line from this movie, uttered by dad to Morgan, life isn't a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. Now, when I heard that, Zach, I had the thought that you probably said that to a girl quoting this movie. Is that an accurate? <laughs> and not attributing it to this movie? Is that, is that an accurate statement? I'm not going to say that I once dated a girl that told her she looked like Kim Richards in Tough Turf, and she was like, what movie is that? My favorite movie is Happy Gilmore. Oh. And I was like, oh, boy. Oh and God! We have to talk. Uh, not gonna say that I might have used, might have paraphrased that line <laughs> once, twice, three times, a lady. <laughs> I I just had a thought. I was like, I was like, I heard that line. I'm like, that line resonated with Zach. He definitely used it. Dude, I wrote that line down. I think I I may still have that in a notebook somewhere. <laughs> I might. <laughs> just saying. Oh man! And you're welcome. Accurate. Michael, your thoughts Amazing. on that line? <laughs> he knows me so well. Uh, I'm amazed. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Michael, at this All point, right. is like, oh, this is $2 late fee. This is what I got myself into. Zach's trip down his traumatic lane. Um, <laughs> right? Fi yeah, okay. Final thoughts, Michael, on Tough Turf before we go into 1985. I mean, I was looking up reviews for this movie and no one liked it. I mean, almost no one liked it. Siskel and Ebert hated it. Of course right? they did. Jerks. The only good review I could find for the movie, which kind of like sums up a lot of like what I like about it too, is that, uh, well, first, Janet Maslin of New York Times was the only good review I could find for the wow. movie. Uh, she's she liked it and she called it a galvanizing scored soundtrack and which it is and um she definitely called out the the bs in the movie that frankie's dad is like is really happy when nick proposes to her which really oh yeah we didn't talk about drama. that 
because I like that's that oh. part of the movie really drags the movie down. That's when you I think that's the 20 yeah. minutes you know oh really cut out of the movie. It's like there's your cut. When it's when it switches points of view to her and like her family life and it's like it's like it's, it's kind of not necessary. It's really Morgan's movie. Right. Such a good point. She praised the visual style of the movie and the editing and the angular camera work. And that's a lot of like what I like about the movie. It's like the mix of the visuals, which are really cool, and the editing, um, even though it's low long, <laughs> but the editing in terms of the music and and then, of course, James Spader. I mean, it, it it's like a package of a teen movie that is kind of unique to itself. Um, it's a, it's, it feels like a New World movie, too. Like, again, I'm into the New World movies. I forgot to mention another thing that uh, that whole scene where they're crashing the, the country club reminds me of a 1985 New World movie. Uh, um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, where they kind of do a similar Girls thing. Just Want to Have Fun is my <laughs> wife's favorite movie of all time. Tell her I'm a big fan too. I have a poster of it. I could hang it up the next time we do a, a Girls oh Just Want to Have Fun podcast. Oh, we might have to have her on and yep. have you on yep. to talk With about her. that. Yep. I'm a big fan. I just love that. I love that kind of thing where they're, everyone's like kind of doing You're that. So right. I forgot that was a New World movie fun. too. So yeah. true. What a yeah. What a good so pull. New World. New World has a had a brand, and they were making these gritty movies like Angel. Uh, they were making silly movies like this, breaking all the rules, which came out like the same year. Um, uh, Girls just want to have fun. Um, they were just kind of pulling all these like '80s kind of very '80s kind of things, and and then you have director like Fritz Kirsch, who wanted to make a movie that's kind of like set in the '60s, right. but and then but in modern times. So I like that it's like all mm. these things. It's a mix of things. Not everything sticks, but it's a lot of fun, and that's what's different from movies. Now they're, they're kind of like their own one thing, and they're usually boring or <laughs> overstuffed, like some you know a lot of the big uh, blockbuster movies. But this one has a vibe, and you know I go back to it. I've been going back to it for what thirty eight years, so there's a reason for that. And I think uh, I think uh, people who are not familiar with it will earn for a treat um or maybe scared for their lives no but i think it's a really good point that dustin you brought up that that this movie might be a little off-putting to people who've never seen it or or maybe are not of that nostalgic mindset um watching it for the first time i think it's a movie that maybe you watch twice if you're feeling that way because you might watch it the first time and go this is not all the hype about this movie it's not that great then you watch it again you're like you know what yeah, cut that one scene out where uh, you know Nick is proposing, and the movie's pretty damn good. Who's who's got the time? You don't like it? Watch it again. <laughs> True. Watch True. it twice, and then tell True. me if you don't like it. Like I could be watching so many other things. Oh, uh, there's so many things about this movie that could be talked about. Yeah, but it is it is it is really good point about Dad and his relationship with Frankie. Obviously, he's a good father. You know, whereas like normally you'd hear you have a father who's like uh, maybe a drunk, maybe beats her. Right. That's not the case. Mom has passed away. But like. Dad, dad's ignorance or naivete, naivete about about what's actually going on is so annoying. Like this guy is proposing. And even if you want to be like, well, it's her happiness that all I care about. It's like, but this guy was arrested that day like you know he was he just got out of prison <laughs> clearly you know this like oh he, he's not gonna provide for your daughter he's a scumbag so you know where's that where's that protect where's the where's the protectiveness it doesn't he's not there it's, it makes me crazy at least we have matt clark to 
to the rescue as a dad in this movie. God, too. I love Matt Clark so good, so much. I love that guy. He's such a good actor. And I, I really want to point out quick. One last thing I want to point out is Morgan in the finale when he's fighting Nick. Uh, he has a scene with the axe. You've seen that picture in other things. It looks like a scene from a horror film yeah. the way he's holding that axe. And I like it. But again, speaks to the tone being kind of all over the place. I don't mind that at all. In fact, I love it. Like seeing this kind of like that's where it gets really dark because you're like, is he going to punch the axe through his chest? Because I think he was probably intending to do that. Yeah. Here's a question for you guys. If you're in high school and you're dating a girl, (laughs) you know, seeing a girl very casually, but, you know, she's met your parents and you find out that your father has been shot and the girl you're dating is involved. Do you go, oh, it's okay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, I felt like, wouldn't he have a little bit of like, fuck you, Frankie. Like, he never he never wavers at, about her at all, ever. He's, he's really yeah. into her. She's looking good. Right. That's what she offers. That's what she offers. She looks good. She looks good. But the fact is, like, she's responsible. You know, at the yeah. very least, like she, I don't know, like. It's not okay. It's not, it's okay. not okay. And like the fact that he's just like, you know, hug her, take her home. He's going to be fine. She's an accessory. He's going to be fine. All good. All good. She's an accessory. Exactly. <laughs> she's going to go to jail. She's going to, she's going to get charged. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, whatever. But like at the very least, it's like, is that's where you'd have some doubts about this girl. Like I you mean, were there when my dad got shot. Why are you even there? What, what? I think you do stupid things when you're when you're in high school and you're in love with somebody, but the wrath I think she'll suffer is from the mom. The mom would never forgive her. That's true. Yeah, the mom is definitely not going to approve of this. That's part two. Tough turf two. What about dad? Like dad recovers and then he's going to have a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, true. spoiler guys, but watch it. And if you don't like it the first time, watch it three times. I mean, let's let's be honest. They're in high school. They're going to break up. Uh, when he goes off to college and she's in community college. Right. So, but she read it. She read a book in a day. I mean, that shows I some mean, drive. She, yeah. And apparently there was a cut scene where she, they're taking like the SATs or like something. A book like club. That. They have a little book club. They have a book club. Yeah. They Oprah shows that. up. She's like, you get yeah. a job. No. Um, yeah. Okay. So can I give you my three little facts? Please. Okay, uh, really quickly, in uh, November, so so this movie, you said Michael came out in January, but we're airing this episode in November. Uh, once again, Olivia Barish, in one week, she will talk about her involvement with this movie and Repo Man and so much more. Um, so in November of 1985, Paul McCartney released the single for Spies Like Us. <laughs> Did you forget that Paul McCartney sang the Spies Like Us song? I totally forgot that. Yes, and also that Spies Like Us came out in 1985. Yes. So that means it came out in November. The movie came out in November? 
I mean, it must have. It must have. Spies like us must have come on. Yeah, but uh, that's it. That's when the song came out in in November of 1985. November 18th, I believe. That was the actual date. On my birthday. What? So I was trying to pull all facts from November 18, 1985, but I can only land on that one. It's a pretty damn good one for Dustin on his birthday oh, and Aaron's birthday soon after. That's amazing. So, you know, so there you go. Spies Like Us. Yeah, but if you tell me Spies Like Us came out in November 85, I'd be like, it did? I don't know. Yeah. 1985 was a huge, it was a lot of movies yeah. released that year. It just it seems like late, tourist, though. Yeah. Spies Like Us seems like a summer movie to me. Yeah. I guess so. Um, I just oh, you know what? It came out in December of '85. It did. It was like a Christmas. Yep. Like, let's go see Spies Like Us. Yep. Really. And, and I, you guys might disagree with me on this, but I believe Spies Like Us is like stripes, where the first forty-five minutes or first half hour of the movie is fantastic. The rest of it's kind of meh. Yeah, it's not great. Stripes is the same way. The first half of Stripes when they're training, it's amazing. When they actually go into quote unquote war, eh, I could right done. Um, okay. In November of 1985 on television, Lucille Ball starred in the made for television movie Stone Pillow, where she played a older homeless woman. Hi, I'm Lucy. They carry most or all of their possessions with them. Constantly, they're on the move. Each one has a story that is unique. They are our nation's homeless. On November 5th, the CBS television network will air a very special made-for-television movie called Stone Pillow. Please join us. The movie received mixed reviews, but it was a rating success, which led to her getting a reboot of Life with Lucy the following year. Did you guys ever see the made-for-television CBS drama Stone Pillow? Michael, did, you're nodding your head. Did you see it? I did see it. Pull it off the shelf watch. behind you, Michael. I don't, it's not available. Turn over your shoulder and just pull it off the shelf. That'd be so badass. Um, <laughs> imagine that'd, that'd be, be so funny. amazing. No, I, I, I remember watching it when it aired. Um, I don't know why, but it was, it was on. Yeah, I, I saw and, it too. Yeah, but that's the last time I've seen it. You had it. limited choices back then in 1985, you know? You How about you, Dustin? Did you ever see it? No, I, I've never even heard of its existence until right now. Oh, wow. Okay, well... I'll end on this one. It is, once again, November 18, Dustin's birthday. So happy birthday to Dustin. Thank you. I was celebrating my not seeing the Lucille Ball movie. No, but did you know that in November 18, 1985, Snuffleupagus was revealed to adults for the first time? At last! Oh, joy, joy! I told you there was a Snuffleupagus, and at last, you've seen him, and you got to believe it, right? I told you all along that there was a Snuffleupagus, my best pal. He's not imaginary, but you never believed me. No, but, but Maria and, and Linda and I believed you, Big Bird. Yeah, but the rest of you didn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right, we did, but. Well, but what? Yeah, but what, but what? Yeah, but what? Mm, but, well, uh. Big Bird, you have a right to be angry. Uh. I do? Yes, you do, because after all this time and we didn't believe you, that must have been very hard for you. Well, yeah, it was. Well, Big Bird, from the bottom of my heart, I want to apologize, because I'm really sorry. Oh. <laughs> Big Bird, you know what? From now on, 
We'll believe you whenever you tell us something. Yes. Promise? Yes. Promise. 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 Maybe we should get that in writing. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, Linda. Oh, oh uh, uh, Snuffy. Linda says that I should introduce you to everybody. Oh, Elmo wants to. Elmo, you and I have already met. <laughs> Never mind. Up until that point, Snuffleupagus, who was Big Bird's friend, was a, you know, imaginary character. And the reason this was done was this was around the time, sadly, there was a lot of uh, child molestation going on in the country. It was very much like big in the news and kids keeping secrets and kids not telling their parents about things happening. So this was a gateway for kids to see that it's okay to reveal secrets to adults adults who trust and so snuffleupagus was the gateway for um for this conversation a very hard conversation but a very important one happy birthday dustin (laughs) wow i did not know that at all and his full name is aloysius snuffleupagus aloysius snuffleupagus rolls off the lips apparently for some the teeth Tip of the tongue. Um, wow. Okay. Well, good work, Sesame Street, initiating <laughs> yeah. those hard conversations like it <laughs> did for many things. And Elmo was re- introduced too, but who cares about Elmo and not me? <laughs> Elmo was introduced in 85? Yes, apparently. That's what it says. I would says. not have guessed that either. Nope. Well, we're not going to talk about the guy who played Elmo because that is a whole other Finding connection too. Elmo. Yes, go check that one out. Pull that one um, off the shelf, Michael. Where's that? Michael Ferrari, you are T-U-F-F. You're so tough. <laughs> uh, where can people Thank find you. you on the socials and whatnot? So you could find the podcast at retromovielove.com. You could find me on Cinema de Meep on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, too, but not as much because Kind of lame it there. Sucks. It um, is very lame. There. And then let's say it. <laughs> it's not T U F F tough. It's S U C K S L A M E. Yeah. Ugh. Yes. The worst exactly. tool for marketing ever. And uh, oh yeah, then um, oh yeah, the YouTube channel uh, has all the a lot of the, all the podcast episodes. So look for Retro Movie Love Podcast. On YouTube. Right on. Yeah. And and uh, quick shout out to our YouTube page. If you're not a subscriber, please go to our YouTube page and subscribe. We'll subscribe to Michael's and he'll subscribe to ours and they'll both boost each other up. Yes, we will. Hey, Michael, can I ask you how you have your physical media organized and how large your collection is? That's a great question. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm sitting, for those of you, because you can't see, I'm sitting inside of my den, which is I call Meep's Video. Um, there's thousands of movies in here. Thousands. Uh, behind yes. me behind me is a wall I call a wall of directors. So I have things organized by directors. Um, and then I have things organized by direct uh, decades. And then I have a whole teen movie wall. Wow. And then I have like a horror and a whole horror section. So it's a very idiosyncratic because you know it's it's for me it's my collection it's my video store as i call it and uh but i you know that's do you loan them out to people 
if they want yeah i mean i've i've definitely done that before i've given away a lot of extra copies of things so if you happen to be in uh, new jersey i was more by. concerned about like your like your process like are you actually checking things out is there a database do you go like you know <laughs> neighbor down hall and red house has you know roadhouse <laughs> Yeah, I know. If I feel like this were 10, maybe even 10, 15 years ago, people would be doing that. But unfortunately, everyone's streaming right. these days. Right. But uh, for us, uh, people who love physical media, we, you know, we have our video stores now in our houses and, um, you know, we'll, and people can borrow them if they want. And, uh, you know, I keep tally. I have a, I have a log of everything I've, I've I put in. I Instagram. If you go to my Instagram page, you'll see all the things I add um daily weekly whatever and uh yeah so it's, all, it's a lot it. of fun to surround myself with the movies like real up, impressive yeah. real impressive yeah michael's got a Thank great you. uh great kind of like eye for genres and movies that stand out unique movies off the beaten track um i think we should team up on a why is this not available on physical media uh episode possibly uh thunder alley would definitely feature heavily in that but really quick michael do you have a favorite genre or subgenre? so growing up it was always teen movies or horror movies so um i i but i you know i go from everything i, I screwball comedies of the 30s are a big passion or like action movies I just did a Die Hard podcast last month. You know, it's like it's like all kinds of you know, every, it's everything. And uh, um, but I tend to go back to a lot of teen movies and horror movies, so, as it seems, and certainly eighties movies, where the nostalgia lives. That's for sure. Exactly, Dustin. It's your birthday month. Any final thoughts for your uh, birthday month? Uh, go out and do something nice for somebody else. Um, rent them. No, buy them some physical media. <laughs> And be like, if you don't like this, I'm sorry, just watch it twice. And then you can return it if you don't like it. Uh, no, just, you? you know, it's it's kind of dark times in the world. There's a lot, you know, so just uh, be kind to yourself and kind to others. Let's, let's spread some kindness, everybody. And um, Michael, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great having you. Thank you. And happy birthday. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. May this be the first uh, first of many guestings. For you. That would be amazing. Thank you, guys. If all of this happens the way we expected it would happen, this will air before Dustin's birthday, and then Olivia Barish will be on Dustin's birthday weekend and Aaron's birthday. Happy birthday to you too, Aaron! And then, of course, we're rounding out the month with two dollars six questions with Olivia, and then territory marks with Paul and myself. So, uh, don't forget to subscribe. Blah 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 blah. All that good stuff, guys. Yeah. Hug someone, show some love, be T-U-F-F tough, and flip some hair, and do it with a dance double. Only way to do it. I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you 
that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.